Today's episode of the Health Lawyer Podcast with Julian Whitehead is brought to you by Whitehead Legal, who are commercial lawyers who exclusively advise health practitioners. Today's episode concerns warranties in practice sale agreements and their importance. Uh, We cover off a bit of drafting and a bit of commerciality that is sometimes required between the purchasers and the vendors when finalising these warranties. Hope you enjoy the episode. Um, We've been live live streaming the episodes on Whitehead Legal's Facebook page, so there'll be a link uh, of that video in the podcast description. Be sure to like, share and subscribe. And for those dentists listening uh, who are attending the ADX in Melbourne in May, um, I'll be there and I'm happy to discuss uh, all your commercial queries in person. So let's, let's coffee and feel free to make contact with me via any means necessary. So hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everybody. He's just a dentist. Yeah, and you're an anti-dentist. You're a veterinarian? That's right. I myself was a dentist. I was proud to be a dentist. I did not hide the fact that I was a dentist. If we give up our dental plan, I'll have to pay for Lisa's braces. I'll take a vet over an MD any day. They gotta be able to cure Lisa, a chicken, a pig, a frog, all on the same The Health Lawyer Podcast. Alrighty. Welcome to another episode of the Health Lawyer Podcast with Julian Whitehead. So warranties. What are you warranting? Well, this episode will discuss generally the warranties in the sale of a health practice. So, seller warranties in a practice sale agreement are, well, they're they're tantamount to express guarantees or promises to a buyer that that specific facts or conditions are true and and will happen. Um, What you are willing to warrant as the seller of your practice uh, and what buyers what wants you to warrant back to them. So buyers will seek warranty protection in a wide range of matters, including intellectual property, uh, financial matters, records, um, title to and adequacy of the state of the, of the assets, uh, the quality and performance of the plant equipment, um, the employment issues, uh, whether the buyer is subject to any litigation or whether, whether the, the practice is subject to any litigation. However, uh, the warranties should not be used as a substitute for, for the buyers um, to, to, uh, to their own practice due diligence. Practice due diligence should always be done leading up to signing off of the agreement. And this is just a reinforcement. The warranties should be a reinforcement of the due diligence that, you, that you've found. It's, it's tricky and not recommended um, to rely on warranties as you do diligence. Sometimes it's in, inescapable, but we wouldn't recommend it. So warranties are key pr- provisions of a, of a practice sale agreement. Um, a practice owner must read carefully, so the vendor in, this, in, in these circumstances, they must read the, the warranties carefully and confirm they are, they're comfortable with um, what they are they're warranting. So when acting for, for purchases of practices, I, I see examples of warranties being, being proffered by other lawyers to, to us in, in the first agreement, um, in the first draft of that agreement, only to, to later be withdrawn uh, by, by the vendor as a direction to their lawyer or by the lawyer themselves, the vendor's lawyer themselves. And usually we don't get a, an explanation as to, as to why this has occurred. Um, so, f- 
for obvious reasons, uh, this can raise queries as, as to, to the buy on the buyer side of things, on the purchase side of things, as you know, what's the agenda here? Why was it put in in the first place? Why was it retracted with no explanation? If there is an explanation, you know, that's, that that would help. But yeah, it's it's quite common that that there's no explanation as to why why warranties are retracted, and the. Yeah, you know, we we can be fairly frank with it. When you look, when you really do your due diligence on certain items during the uh, uh, contemporaneously during the negotiation of the practice sale agreement, things appear, uh, things the things are uh, uh, are proffered by on the vendor side of things, and yeah, they they they, um, they alert you to certain warranties that have been have also been proffered. So if the due diligence uh, uncovers something before you've signed the agreement. Due diligence uncovers some litigation, and on the flip side, the uh, practice sale agreement is saying, "Well, there's no litigation." Yeah, there's there's an obvious inconsistency. <laughs> um, so, vendors read and understand what your warranties are. Uh, there, they can range from you know four or five to forty or fifty um, warranties in certain agreements. It really depends on your lawyer. Um, Ensure that you've you've read the first draft, and ensure that the due diligence has gone out, so you know that there's no inconsistencies there, as I've discussed. We'll get onto that soon, uh, further soon. Um, just so that you're comfortable and you understand what you are warranting as well. So as vendors need to know what they are representing, what they are representing and warranting to purchasers. So the, the warranties relating to financials as well, uh, they may need to be properly verified by, by a vendor's accountants too. And we'll also get on to, later in this episode, we'll get on to the, uh, the, the refinement of certain warranties when there's a third party involved, such as an accountant. So a breach of a warranty um, will provide, or can provide, a, 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 a purchaser with a right to claim um, damages in compensation for the breach provided the buyer can prove that there was actual loss and damage in that the effect of the breach of the warranty was to reduce the value of the asset that they acquired. So essentially, you know, you've, you've, uh, for, on a, as a dentist example, you've bought a, part, of the, part of the plant equipment is, is a, a $40,000 chair and it's, there's, there's a claim as to the chair's malfunctioning and we'll get on to plan equipment warranties, but this is a small example. The, the malfunctioning chair is uh, will cost you know, fifteen thousand dollars to to to, to get, get back to a stage where um, it should have been when when the settlement occurred. So, or even in in the if there's a if, there, if there's a time period allowing um, t- uh, claims. So, if there's a fifteen thousand dollar gap, that's effective loss of damage. You'll recall also in our prior in our prior episode, uh, we've placed an importance uh, on town planning permits and vendors. Again, they should be willing to warrant um, that they hold all statutory certifications, licenses, registrations, approvals, um, permits, of course, consents, authorization, anything necessary to run uh, to carry on the pract- the carry on um, of the practice at the practice premises and that the, that the vendor's usage of that premises complies with the town planning permits or any applicable law. So if the practice uh, to be purchased is um, 
well, if, it's, if it's acquired and sold as a three practitioner clinic, be it yeah, dentists, vets, uh, GPs, physios, three practitioner clinic with all the correct permit documentation, well, it's commercially uh, reasonable for the vendor to warrant that the usage of the practice for three practitioners uh, practicing at any one time, uh, it's, it's, it's reasonable to, to, for a purchaser uh, to, to re require that as a warranty. And it shouldn't be an issue. They're, they're very, it's very unlikely that there's an issue involved there for the vendor side of things. Now, if the um, on the flip side, if a practice has five practitioners practicing uh, at any one time, and um, oh, there are only uh, three there's only a three practitioner permit, and the seller is warranting that the usage of the practice complies with the town planning permit, then well, as I've said before, there's inconsistencies. So here, the seller is the, the vendor is already opening itself up to issues with the buyer. And you'd be surprised how many, how, how how often there are these issues that just it's it's it can be led led towards sloppy drafting. Uh, when you when as as we're looking at purchases, looking after purchases when we receive documentations from documentation from vendors lawyers because it is industry standard for vendors lawyers to produce the documentation. Yeah, there's sloppy drafting occasionally. As an aside, though, for um for purchase side of things. If you haven't, or and, and for vendors as well, if you have an established practice, fifteen plus years without a town planning permit or a practice premises that's within a commercial zoning um, uh, commercial zone with it, with permits in um, which, which permits sorry the the usage uh, and also there's car parking reductions. Well, there's there's alternative avenues for premises usage and as of right compliance. But that's that's an aside. Let's we'll stay on the warranties here f uh, further with the the plan and equipment. So I mentioned before the um, say a, yeah the chair that has uh, so this is the brilliance of, of live streaming as well as as recording the podcast um, need to have a, have a quick sip ah good old bit of H two O so we'll back back to the um, the plan and equipment uh, warranty here so again well, yeah the the example of the forty thousand dollar chair. It needs about fifteen thousand dollars worth of of, uh, of polish to get it back up and to where it was. Um, it's been warranted as a forty thousand dollars chair. So look, the the equipment and the stock on the settlement date, the the equipment will sh uh, the vendor should be warranting that the equipment will be delivered to the purchaser in a good and proper working order. The plan equipment. We're usually referring here to the list of the plan and equipment, um, and it's commonly a schedule in the uh, schedule to the sale agreement. This is where the importance, as well, of the inspection of the plan and equipment um, from on the purchase side of things, because you're inspecting as you should be inspecting the plan and equipment when you sign the agreement, um, the sale agreement, but also on the day of settlement. So to ensure that the the purchasers, yeah, to ensure that you are acquiring um, equipment in good and proper working order. If it's not in good or proper working order at settlement, well, it's likely that commercial uh, commerciality ensues, and you know there's there's ways and means. Practice brokers um, will assist in this this matter, and they can negotiate outcomes. We see you know sometimes vendor rectification of the equipment, so that's 
buy a new chair, put it back in, sell the other chair, and there's no there's there's no issues, there's no uh, no changes in the value or the loss of damage that could occur to the purchaser because that's that's critical. They've they've rectified the situation. Alternatively, in that fifteen thousand dollar example, yeah, the, the the practice purchase price just is re reduced by fifteen thousand dollars. Um, rarely should plan equipment warranty breaches be a cause for um, for sales to fall, fall over, um, particularly nominal amounts. And again, $15,000. If you're buying something for a million dollars, that $15,000 shouldn't really be the, issue, the big issue. It does happen though. There's, there's buyers that are reticent. Uh, what, if, if there's a $15,000 issue here, what else is being hidden? So it's important that you know, on, on the vendor side of things, you know, if you're massaging something through the settlement, yeah, you really shouldn't be. You should, it should be in good and proper working order just to make sure that there's comfort levels on both sides and everyone's complying with the warranties. The other very uh, important, or they're all very, all warranties are very important, but, but ones that really pop out and, and queried on both sides of vendors and, and purchaser clients of ours is um, figures and accounting and their accuracy um, and it can create consternation usually because vendors who warrant say that the figures are accurate and representing that they're accurate and have provided documentation to say a broker or to direct directly uh, between accountants um, that the uh, and, and everyone's relying on those uh, on those figures well everyone's actually relying on the vendors accountant so there's a third party there to have accurately produced those financial statements. So for <coughs> excuse me, for buyers, um, when you see words as uh, input into the sale agreement, um, to the best of the vendor's knowledge and belief, well then, when it is a situation that the vendor is also relying on third parties, then it's not uncommon to accept buyers to accept that that refinement on certain warranties, well, certain vendor warranties that is, rather than the categoric, you know, the vendor warrants, uh, the figures are accurate. In certain circumstances, it, it's um, vendors and, and, and um, purchasers can agree that, yeah, instead of the vendors, vendor warrants the figures are accurate, it's to the best of the, of the vendor's knowledge and belief, the figures are accurate. There's a slight difference there, but it is because of that uh, unknown third-party influence there. There's other there's other um, uh, wallet warranties and other reasons why that word is, is, is supplanted in there. And there's also other refinements of that word. So what does knowledge and belief mean? Is, is it, is it uh, appropriate inspections, appropriate follow-ups to that 30, but that third-party, appropriate uh, uh, telephone calls and all that stuff. So there's, there's it, it can expand quite uh, you can really expand those uh, knowledge and belief uh, clauses, but it's 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 important to have on vendor side of things if there's an uncomfort level, uh, and it's not, it should also be the fact that it shouldn't be struck out either. Uh, so, so the list of purchaser has some 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 meat there that they can hold on to, um, and uh, if if there is a, a misrepresentation there or or even an a an error that was as involved. In the in the calculations there, this is really contrasted to say employee entitlements, which rightly the vendor should know their employee entitlement entitlement liabilities, and as as such, they should be warranting uh, what has been disclosed to the purchaser, what has been uh, in provided to uh, the practice broker, and which is who has put it in in 
information memorandums or who has subsequently disclosed that information to their accountants or keepers or whomever. So, rightfully, those there are there's 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 uh, warranties that are within the sphere of the management of of the vendor, which rightfully should be uh, should not be to the best of knowledge belief. They should be categorical uh, warranties. So, sellers, look to, to conclude conclude today's episode on warranties. They are very important. Of course, they're very important. The indemnification and and um, uh, of of the warranties contract warranties contract breaches we'll get to another episode but this is just a uh, a good roundup a quick roundup on important uh, 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 warranties and, and how they relate to practice sale agreements and how vendors and purchasers need to relate to them sellers should not take a buyer's request for further and better warranties as a personal affront it's a commercial most warranty requests are commercially reasonable and a uh, well, it, it, they're, they're industry standard. They should be industry standard. Um, <coughs> and they are usually asking the seller to really stand behind their practice, uh, particularly when the consideration of the value of the practice is, is quite high. So, like if you're, if you're, if you're asked, if, if there's no warranties in there at all, you and you're, you're buying a practice for a million dollars, you want warranties in there. You want good warranties there. Um, Sometimes you need the purchasers need to take the commercial risk if they're only buying something for twenty five thousand dollars that the warranties aren't going to be there. I wouldn't. I I usually recommend that there's there's there's, there's a standard list of of warranties that we input. They're they're practice specific and they're industry specific as well, um, be it vets, dentists, uh, GPs. But they they are import they are important regardless of the consideration for us. But sometimes. Uh, during negotiation or you know fear of missing out even some purchases do yeah they, they unfortunately do take uh take commercial risks there but if the consideration is high yeah I, we, we, you couldn't you couldn't take uh take a sale agreement and sign it off without warranties but contract warranties in there that we're talking about so um the the other quite important thing um that i have i have done a a uh a few blogs on on the Whitehead Legal website, um, and I've written a few, um, a few, uh, yeah, a few articles on on this. Is the seller being a company? If it is a com- if it is a company, a PTY Ltd, they expect them expect the seller as the director, the personal seller as the director, the vendor, um, to personally uh, stand behind. Those warranties, so they should personally guarantee vendor vendor laws should vendors pardon me should personally guarantee those those corporate entities which own the assets and they own the goodwill. Now, if they don't own the goodwill, then that that's that's a separate thing because the vendor would similarly be a vendor. But if the if the if the corporate entity owns everything, then the vendor personally should stand behind that company um, and should <coughs> excuse me and should. Um, Personally, warrant and represent that the uh, jointly and severally that those uh, that that the warranties are accurate. So it's it's it is industry standard. Our vendors stand behind uh, behind their companies. It's not. um, There are reasons sometimes that vendors won't. Um, There's there's there's, of course there's exceptions to every rule. Uh, Sometimes the corporate entity uh, isn't a two dollar shell company, and it might be a it might own other assets that 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 can be 
you know, less sued around if there is a breach and if there is a claim. Essentially, those standing behind you, vendors standing behind their company, is is a uh, is provides the purchaser a requisite level of comfort that they are they are buying something that the vendor is willing to stand by, willing to to represent personally, as well as the corporate entity there. So it is important to that the seller warranties are drafted so that they are clear and certain, and and most sellers will will want to seek to limit their liability as to time and quantum. Again, they put that to the side to another podcast, another episode of the of the of the podcast. Uh, we've got our, our sale agreements, the wider legal sale agreements, to provide a fair, reasonable set of seller warranties, which a, a buyer's lawyer will find commercial and acceptable, and. That's it for today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed the, uh, the the brief rundown on the on what you are warranting and, and and why you need to warrant, and why it's important to to have commercially reasonable warranties for both vendor and and the purchaser. So until next time, we'll we'll speak to you in a in a in the same forum of live streaming uh, the podcast, which we're we're recording and we'll release it. We're also going to be attending the ADIA conference in six weeks at in Melbourne. So reach out we'll happy to happy to chat happy to meet for coffee and we'll see you then well there'll be more podcasts leading up to that uh, to the adx uh, so listen out to that thanks very much for listening